for his even fits at the big ball. These Tennessee State Buccaneers, they're dancing, boys. Butter Perea lays it up. 1.4. Perea hits it. The pass is caught. Ready for the game winner. Wide left. Bucks win. Okay. Spotting for three. The place is going to erupt. Oh, Deuce Bello. He's going to make Sports Center with an incredible Jarvis Jones. The game winner got it. What's your name, man? I told you it doesn't matter what your name is. You're handsome. You have the perfect amount of scruff. And you still have the talent. It's Sandos in the sidekick on the Buccaneers Sports Network. Good Tuesday, Jay Sandos, the gluten-free Mike Gallagher with you here on Sandos in the sidekick as we get excited for... Basketball season winding down, Southern Conference Tournament quickly approaching, NCAA, the brackets, all the good fun stuff. It's uh, nitty-gritty time. ETSU men's basketball, three games left. The women's squad, four games left before they go to Asheville. And we'll have a full breakdown coming up on Thursday of those contests. Top 25 uh, College Insider uh, mid-major poll came out yesterday. We'll recap that as we always do. And a little uh, mystery... Is that today? Is that tomorrow? Your name's on the show. I, I wouldn't. I wouldn't trust me with any of that kind of. I thought you were the producer. No. Who knows? All right. Well, we got a lot of stuff going on. Either way, it's a big week this week. A little later, uh, Lando's coming up. Crazy coach during the week. Uh, four quarters. Uh, bold predictions for the weekend, in which we were all so close. And uh, previews and recaps. So a lot going on. And we'll talk a little baseball tomorrow. Maybe a little softball as well. But. Both the the diamond squads uh, off to a great start. Softball off to the best start in school history. Baseball solid opening weekend. They play today against Virginia Tech. The Tennessee game versus ETSU softball scheduled for Tuesday has been canceled and moved to April 16th. So uh, hopefully a little better weather for when the Vols come back to town to take on Brad Irwin's squad. But last night, ETSU Radio Coaches Show, Wild Wing Cafe, good show. Steve Forbes and Jay Sandoz, good show. Coming from the host, I guess I'm not surprised you think that. I thought it was too. I think it's always good with you. And well, I didn't have you to talk a lot. Very well, you, yeah, it's true. A lot of fan participation on Facebook Live, on Twitter, on the phones. Four two three six three one five seven two nine is the phone number if you want to put that in your phone. If you haven't gotten into the ETS Radio Coaches Show and have been able to call in before, the phone lines are open. Had about three or four calls on Twitter. There are like five or ten questions, and on Facebook Live, you always have. Five or ten questions as well. So the fans are easing the load on you. You're having to do a lot less. That is always welcomed, I believe, especially when you have to sit with Coach Forbes. And I think you took it along really well. I think you'll have a good back and forth. But, you know, 15, 16 weeks in a row can be a bit much, I think, for one hour every Monday night. And you're around him a lot during the season as well. So I'm sure he gets sick of your company. Uh, I would never say that you get sick of his because, obviously, it it won't go two ways there because being around Steve and being around you is just two different experiences. But – he did echo, did Steve Forbes, as we go back to the coach's show on Monday night, some of his sentiments from Saturday. We had, you know, needed to win and had a long week of practice. And and uh, I think I came down here. We did the radio show today at the boot camp, and they did well. And um, got a nice win over Citadel in a close game. Didn't play great defensively. And I thought for 35 minutes on Saturday, we played really, really well. Played really good defense. Um, I thought the last five minutes we kind of coasted. But, um, you know, 
for 35 minutes, we, we played well. We've got to play well for 40 here on out to, to win and, and then get in the tournament win games. You have to wear multiple hats in your role for ETSU basketball. One is analyst because you do the broadcasts on your own, so you do play-by-play analysis. You're kind of in a roundabout way the number two to Kevin Brown, the ETSU men's basketball side of you two work kind of in conjunction to make sure that all the stats are correct and all the game notes that you use and that Kevin Brown puts together every game are in line with what each of you have. What do you think when Coach Forbes talks about needing to be better defensively and playing the full 40 minutes on defense, and specifically looking back at that Mercer game, there are obviously some things that you can pull out. But if ETS is going to play a full 40 on defense, where the improvements need to come? I think he's pulling from a couple of years ago the championship squad that really from, from start to finish would put the clamps down and bury people. And I think the problem for ETSU, and it's been a lot this year, you know, they weren't able to finish the Georgia's uh, – State game, and that's early in the year. New team, and there's a lot of things you could see there. They didn't finish the game at Creighton. Uh, they didn't really finish the game against BMI at home first first go around. Sanford at home, they didn't bury. I think, you know, even though Mercer really never got back into it, but it went from 30 to, to I think 17 or 18 pretty quick. And and uh, so I think kind of having that mentality of of a full game, playing a full 40 minutes, and then also. I think where you talked about uh, the previous coach's show about the regression of the team where they were just giving up too many open looks and, and missed assignments and things that at this point in time in the season, you know, you shouldn't have to think about. It should become second nature. And so, you know, I think it was more mentally uh, what he's talking about than anything else as far as just mentally staying sharp for 40 minutes, you know, not getting bored. You know, I, I don't know if that's the right way to word it, but certainly – complacent not being anything like that so I think that's what he's talking about and and I know it, it's tough when a team you know I think Wofford was was up 30 on VMI and all of a sudden VMI threw 60 second half points on the board at Wofford well certainly Wofford's one of the best defensive teams in the league and you don't expect that but even they sometimes get a little bored so I think it's just trying to stay focused stay sharp and trying to commit to all 40 minutes and they've had some 40 minute games they've played all the way I think the Wofford home game is a great example of that where they did go 40 minutes. The problem is they're not doing that every time out on the floor, and I think that's what he's trying to get out of the squad. On the offensive end, DTS, he's certainly hitting on all cylinders. 88 points against Mercer, 91 against Citadel. Even against Furman, yes, he only put up 61 points, but shot 47% from the field, and the free throw line wasn't the thorn in the side of the Bucks that it has been a lot of the year, hit almost 70% of those. A lot of what's leading ETSU to offensive success is sharing the basketball. We are uh, 11th in the country in total assists, and we're 38th in the country in assists per game, and 30th in the country in team field goal percentage. The offense has been pretty efficient, and a lot of that has to do with the guards. Isaiah Tisdale, Pat Good, Davian Williamson, those guys have a, in league play, they have 114 assists and 40 turnovers. You know, that's almost, you know, 3-1. to one. Uh, That's really, really good. And Isaiah Tisdale's 22nd in the country in uh, assist turnover ratio. He's got 83 assists on the year and 26 turnovers. So those guys have done a really good job of taking care of the ball. This is a good chance for me to make fun of myself. I do a lot of making fun of you on this show. Pros versus Jays yesterday. You heard Steve Forbes just now say that ETSU is 11th in the country in total assists. I said we were 21st. Maybe we need like a Mike versus information segment, you know, where I just get everything wrong uh, in terms of the actual facts of situations. Because also yesterday during Pros versus Jays, I said that I think I mentioned John Madden was getting the sports semi, lifetime sports semi. It's actually Dick Vitale who's getting the lifetime sports semi. John Madden already got one. 
those are the only two analysts to ever get the award. I said they were the only two ever. There's been like 31. Now it makes sense why they ran that on ESPN during probably a game Dick was doing, I'm assuming. I believe that he was so doing you butchered the, the whole story now. Is that what you're telling Duke game. Yeah, well, that's not the point of the segment. The point oh, is okay. to make fun of you, but uh, <laughs> I did, yes. Butcher pretty much the entire segment, and then also the fact that ETSU is 21st in the country in total assists. No, 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 it's 11th. Steve Forbes is correct about that. I went back and double-checked last night because clearly I remember me saying that, getting it wrong, uh, and Steve Forbes sets me and the statistics straight uh, in the first segment of our show. But regardless, the guard's doing an excellent job sharing the ball, and it also takes shot makers on the other end of the pass to be able to finish off uh, the setups. And, and obviously, down low ETSU has some muscle. They've got Lucas Gusamwad and Armist Jerome Rodriguez outside, though. They've also got shot makers with Trey Boyd, who did a lot of assisting on Saturday. But he can hit a lot of threes, Patrick Boyd as well. And then the guys, <clears throat> pardon me, that can do a little bit of everything like the Isaiah Tisdale. I, I think the most amazing thing is to see Isaiah Tisdale's numbers. And I think he had gone three-plus games without a turnover, and then mm. the, the Furman game, and I think he had three in like a four-minute stretch, and it was kind of incredible to see his numbers. But you look at his efficiency yeah. as far as assist to turnover, and that's, that's just amazing to me to see how he's been able to take care of the basketball, one of the better assist to turnover ratios. Over three to one. Yeah, and and I'm trying to think in league, um, uh, and I probably should have looked up before we came on our, uh, the air today as far as conference-only stats. Uh, I think he's either second or third as far as the assist-to-turnover ratio goes. And I, I think it's important to, to see how mature he was when he got benched, or not benched, probably not the right, right word, but he just w- wasn't starting. And then to see how he responded to, to coming off the bench. Then he starts and still plays well, and then you're seeing the freshman look a little more comfortable coming off the bench. And Damian Williamson, who's another guy that takes care of the basketball, especially high efficiency for a player, um, that doesn't play a lot. You know, the, the, the problem is both those guys average about 20 minutes a game, right? So they're splitting the time uh, as far as that goes, uh, uh, as far as action on the floor. So I'd be curious to see where um, Tisdale ranks and, and where that goes. But how he takes care of it, how Patrick Good takes care of it, how there, I think that's a, an advantage. And then if you can add a Trey Boyd, who all of a sudden figured out, because the crazy thing to me is I think – second and fourth on the team assist is Jerome Rodriguez and Milan Armas. Uh, or Armas is top five or six, whatever it is. But those guys share the ball as well. So when you get seven guys that can share the basketball around, it makes it awfully difficult for a team because that proves guys are making an extra pass to try to find an open shooter. Conference only, he would be. I don't know why he's not listed on <clears throat> pardon me, the conference's website. I'm struggling with my voice today. 3.9 is the assist to turnover in conference only stats. 43 assists to 11 turnovers. He's, for whatever reason, not listed above Alex Hunter of Furman, who has a 3.0 assist to turnover ratio. But just to tell you how impressive it is, no one else in the league is above a 2.0 assist to turnover. So just Alex Hunter and Isaiah Tisdale are over uh, 2.0. Hasn't Tisdale played in all of them? Yeah, that's what I'm trying to figure out. Uh, he's met minimums, but his minimums are above Marcus Cohen and Garrett Gilkison, who are 7th and 8th. They have 49 assists and 45 assists, and he's at 43. I can't imagine he wouldn't hit the barrier. It really makes sense why he's not there. But regardless, uh, if, if he misses, meets the minimum or not, he clearly uh, is with Alex Hunter, uh, certainly the top two in the Southern Conference in assists to turnover. Uh, moving forward, BMI from Coach. Coach Rose continued to build his roster. This is scary. Now, they scored 60 points in the second half against Wofford. 
on uh, is it Saturday they played them? Yeah, sixty. They scored sixty. That you know, and they're playing at home. That's uh, we can't do that. We cannot allow that to happen. And so, I think they kind of did what we did against them. They got out to a lead and then kind of relaxed. And you can't do that in, in, in any league, especially our league. You know, because um, BMI, I saw them play. Uh, I told you when we played the first time. They played at Kentucky and made 19 threes on Kentucky, who just beat Tennessee. So we got to respect them. we got to go there with a the, with the good game plan and ready to play. So to the point of Coach Forbes, and you mentioned it a bit earlier as well, uh, 56 points against Wofford in that second half, and they only lost 95 to 84. Now, I'm sure the Terriers put it in cruise control a bit, perhaps like ETSU did against Mercer on Saturday, where you get a lead up to 25, 30 points as – the Terriers did at halftime 53-28 to 28, and maybe didn't put their foot down and really close the game out how they would have wanted, but at the end of the day, you really don't need to necessarily when you do have that large of a lead. I think the score looked a lot closer than it actually was by the time the clock hit zeros in that second half, 95-84. to 84. But again, I mean, you look back to ETSU and VMI the first time, and yeah, you can say the Cadets have one win in conference play. I think they're 1-13 in 13 now. And what is it, seven total wins on the year or something along those lines? I mean, they just have not been good, 7-19 uh, overall. And you look at the home numbers, though, and they're 500. You know, they're 6-6 six and six at home, and you see their success against CTSU the first time around. And it took Milad Narmus really standing on his head a bit uh, against the Garden Bubba Parham, who is the most prolific of scorers in the Southern Conference, 5'11", 155 pounds, giving away a huge quickness advantage, but Milad Narmus with a foot of height advantage was able to block Parham's three at the buzzer to close that game out. Much closer than ETSU fans would have liked the fact that VMI had the ball in their hands with that much time to go, you know, nearly triple zeros on the clock and a chance to send it to overtime. I'm sure Steve Forbes and company didn't think they'd be in that position coming down the stretch against a team like VMI. No, certainly not. And I think, uh, you know, threw a, a lot of folks off. And, you know, another shocker, again, free throws uh, rearing its ugly head in that contest. Patrick Good had a chance at a one-on-one to put the game out of reach and missed the front end and gave VMI a shot uh, for three to tie it. Uh, and uh, uh, VMI just didn't hit it. And Parham there for a while just blacked out. I mean, he, he turned into – uh, Fletcher McGee or something where he's, he's just firing threes without looking at the goal from the uh, the U of ETSU, you know, the 30-footers. And, I mean, it was unbelievable display to watch how they got cranking. And that's no shot because Bubba Parham this year, I think, tied Steph Curry's record for four consecutive games with 30 or more points. Wow. Uh, and so, um, you know, one of the leading scorers uh, in the conference. Uh, in league play, I think he's only fourth, but I want to say he's higher than that when it was just uh, – He's number one overall. Yeah, okay. So there you go. So he's number one overall, but in league play, he's fourth, which is still pretty solid because, you know, everybody's trying to key on him at that point. He's averaging 19 a game. Uh, and in league plays, he's hit uh, 46 threes so far. So clearly a guy ETSU will have to worry about. The other thing is VMI does have some stretch forwards that can hit threes. We know that's giving ETSU a bunch of problems. Definitely. We'll step out for a timeout. When we come back, how about mystery guests? We'll have a little mystery guest, and then we'll look at the mid-major top 25 brought to you by College Insider. Tomorrow's show, we'll talk a little baseball, softball, Landon Owen, Lando's Land, and the debut of Play On Player. Play On Player. So we'll have that for you uh, tomorrow. We'll also maybe have four quarters if there's enough time. But we'll have our mystery guest. We're out for this time out to Worm Santos Sidekick on the Buccaneers Sports Network.
It's funny how things can multiply, like cold weather. One minute, a few snowflakes fall. The next, you need a snowblower just to find your feet. Or tardiness. Run two minutes late in the morning, and you're a half hour late to work. Come on. But good things come from multiplying, too, like the new Multiplier Instant Games, which give you a chance to multiply your winnings. So go ahead, enjoy the good kind of multiplying today with the new Multiplier Instant Games, only from the Tennessee Lottery. Game-changing fun. Please play responsibly. Wow, am I happy about my new Wow Rate e-checking account at Citizens Bank. I got a huge rate on my deposit and great account features. With that sort of a deal, I'm saving for much-needed bucks tickets to cheer on my team. Learn more about Wow Rate e-checking accounts at CitizensBank24.com. Wow Rate e-checking accounts at CitizensBank24.com. Go Bucks! Bank your own way. Citizens Bank member FDIC. Looking to promote your business but don't know the best avenue? Stand out from the crowd and go big with billboards. We're Allison Outdoor, and we're the new guys in town. Whether it's digital or traditional billboards, our locations span the Tri-Cities. If you're looking for high exposure for a day, a year, or anything in between, we have rates and packages for you. Call Nick Stickley for pricing at 423-360-4809 or allisonoutdoor.com. And go Bucks! Food City is excited for another thrilling basketball season with the ETSU Buccaneers. Even when slicing up the finest cuts of beef, selecting the freshest produce, or preparing the sweetest baked goods, we live and breathe navy and gold. So go get them, Bucks. On your quest for a Southern Conference championship and beyond, Food City is with you every step of the way. Food City, official supermarket of ETSU Athletics. Johnson City Hyundai is proud to support East Tennessee State Athletics. Excellence in education, teamwork and trust, success and understanding. They are the core values that drive the ETSU Athletics program to excellence. ETSU Athletics and Johnson City Honda, a winning combination. The Johnson City way. Today and every day, Johnson City Honda is committed to bringing the Tri-Cities a truly unique way to buy a new Honda or a certified pre-owned Honda. It's a way of business we like to call the Johnson City way. When you come to Johnson City Honda, you can have the confidence in knowing you're getting a great deal along with outstanding customer service that will last long after the sale. We invite you to come by today and shop our outstanding selection of vehicles and experience a different way, an easy way, our way, the Johnson City way. Johnson City Honda, proud to support the ETSU Athletics Program. Today and every day, the Johnson City way. Johnson City Honda, Johnson City. mystery guest this week is a man that lends us a peek inside the Alliance of American Football. Through two weeks of play now of their 10-week regular season, the new product off to a rousing start. Plenty of quality reviews, positive buzz around the league. 
Mike Waddell, team president of the Orlando Apollos. He's also spent time around the collegiate athletic scene. In fact, much of his professional life has been spent at a variety of Division I universities. Akron, the University of Cincinnati, the AD at Towson back in the day, senior associate AD at Arkansas, senior associate AD at Illinois, and most recently in his athletic endeavors, the vice president of the Richmond Raceway before coming to his current stop with the fledgling franchise, the Orlando Apollos. Mike, I also understand, before we get started with everything I've got for you, you got to tell me about your connection to this area and specifically our beloved mini-dome. Well, I am from Hickory, North Carolina, so I know the Tri-Cities well. But I became intimately involved with the Tri-Cities as the voice, back in my broadcasting days, of the Appalachian State Mountaineers. Now, there was never a rivalry. That was a rivalry back in the daggum late 90s now. You get a little Bucks, you get a little Mountaineers out there. I mean, that, that was uh, some uh, high country feud and got to be really good friends with former Bucks coach uh, Paul Hamilton. Also very good friends with uh, Carl Torbush from my time when I was at the Tar Heel Sports Network and he was with Mac Brown the first time around. So uh, it is a, uh, a lot of fun to be talking to you now and uh, hopefully uh, afterwards I can uh, make my way up there. We can go get some pals and hopefully the power won't go out. I guess it was like 1998 or 1999 we played a game over there and the uh, power went out during our pregame show, but I had to do my entire pregame show from the mini-dome on my cell phone. We never went off the air. I think the uh, guy who was the voice of the Bucks at the time, I think he did go off the air, but we were really prepared. We ran a crazy, complicated broadcast scheme over at App State back in that day. We had a lot of fun and love uh, everything about East Tennessee State. What a great place there. Dick Sander uh, with the, the program there is a, a good friend as well. So uh, thank you for having me on today. This is a lot of fun. Well, we appreciate it because you are certainly speaking the language of East Tennessee right now. You're talking App State ETSU rivalry. You're throwing out names like Carl Torbush and Doc Sander. You're talking pals. I mean, you know how to speak the language of this region, Mike. Man, I just I want to, I like hot dogs. <laughs> I like hot dogs, and I'm going right back to East Tennessee, Western North Carolina. It is heaven on earth, and I love living in Orlando. It's beautiful, 84 degrees in February, but I miss I miss my trees. I miss my uh, grandfather mountain, which I think is paradise on earth, and just great memories there. I think you're, you're truly fortunate to be uh, there with the uh, blue and gold. Uh, it's, it's, a, it's a great school. Well, we think so, too, and thank you for the kind words. Let's get into it here, Mike. What was it like to be in at the ground floor of the AAF, really being responsible for and having your hands in every aspect of building an organization? Well, you just did my entire resume right there. I love that. <laughs> I love the chance to, to build and to hire. And, and here, I had a chance to step the culture in play along with all of the things that are done for us from the Alliance and all eight of our teams in the Alliance of American Football are centrally owned. It's called a single entity. But for me, I was the third employee, the first employee, the head ball coach, East Tennessee native Steve Spurrier. Then our second employee about a month later in May of this past year was general manager Tim Ruskell. And he is an amazing man. Uh, accomplished six different NFL teams he's worked with. Super Bowl with Tampa Bay, was the president of the Seahawks. 
I mean, he really does a, a lot of great things. But then to to come on board, they, they were announced in April and May, Mike. They didn't start on the business side that I run until August. And it was late August whenever I came through. And I had nobody. I showed up on August 28th, my first day on the, on the ground, and there was nobody else. We had no office. We had no name. We were called Alliance Orlando at the time. We weren't the Apollos. I didn't know our colors. I didn't know a single player. Didn't have any employees. And they said, hey, we're going to kick off February 9th. So you have to hire a lot of people. And you get to develop a culture from scratch. And so it's been so much fun to be able to put everything into motion. And I'm blessed with a world-class group of marketers and sellers and digital content generators and everything that you can imagine on the business side, but most importantly, our ticket sales team because they're engaging with our most precious commodity, and that's our fan base. And they've been wonderful here and what I consider to be really the first city of football in the United States, Orlando. We're the biggest market, Mike, media market in the United States without an NFL franchise, mm. but you'd never know it because we have three bowl games, the Under Armour All-American game, the NFL Pro Bowl, a kickoff game, and every time you turn around, somebody's doing something with football in the city beautiful. It's a great place to be. Mike, as you went through the lead-up to Season 1, what were the main tasks you and your staff were concerned with? Was it filling the roster? Was it filling the stadium? Heck, I mean, things as basic as filling out checks just to make sure everyone gets paid. What were the main things that you and your people wanted to make sure went smoothly? Everybody in the organization writes five handwritten notes a day of thanks to somebody that we've dealt with. And then we make a copy of that and we put it up on the wall. We didn't have any decorations. We don't have any uh, pictures of, of action yet because our first game wasn't until last Saturday. Mm -hmm. So our decor on the wall is colored copy paper. We change the color of the paper every week. But we put those thank you notes up there, just establishing that culture of thanks and, and, and true gratitude with our fans. I think that will go a long way as we move on through the years. Something that generated a lot of buzz, you certainly discussed it a little bit, a local name here in East Tennessee, the head ball coach. I thought a big win for the franchise to initially get Steve Spurrier, who attended high school just a few minutes from where we are at Science Hill. What's it been like to get to know Coach Spurrier? What's the working relationship with him been like? He's amazing. He is truly a ball coach. That's a nickname, and it gets thrown around a lot. Right. But, Mike, the thing about Steve Spurrier is I've worked with a lot of great coaches. Mac Brown, Brian Kelly, Mark D'Antonio, Jerry Moore, Butch Jones, not so popular in Tennessee, maybe. <laughs> but uh, in, in Cincinnati, he was great. But I've worked with a lot of great football coaches. Only two are true ball coaches. I mean, guys that want to get down in there. And even after they're the head coach, they still have that burning desire to coach at that that one-on-one -on -one level. Jerry Moore from App State, multiple national championships, mm -hmm. and the head ball coach, Steve Spurrier. He is a wonderful man. He is incredibly down-to-earth. He's humble where he has no right to be. If there's ever been a guy that I've worked with that has no no reason to be humble. It would be Steve Spurrier, yet he could be possibly the most humble. He and Coach Moore would be close. 
but Steve Spurrier won the Heisman Trophy in 1966. He played over a decade in the National Football League. He coached in the USFL. He's been a head coach at Duke and Florida and South Carolina, the Washington Redskins. And now, in what will likely be his final head coaching job, I get a chance to engage with him. And just watching him light up the first time we had a mini camp and he got to be out there with those quarterbacks, brother, I tell you one thing, that, that is a national treasure and certainly is somebody that everybody in East Tennessee and Science Hill High School and University of Florida, anybody that's ever had a chance to engage with Steve and Jerry Spurrier, his wife, they, they've come out the better for that transaction. It seems clear that he's still got the X's and O's knowledge. That's not going to go away. I think, as you mentioned, with this being probably his last head coaching job, some were saying, well, the AAF, Steve Spurrier, is he kind of just you know riding into the sunlight with this? But it certainly seems like he has brought his best leading up to this season, and the results are showing that. The head ball coach seems to still have the fire, Mike. Well, we're 1-0, and I uh, have another game coming up on Sunday at San Antonio, uh, 3.30 Eastern time uh, is our airtime on our radio network, but uh, 4 o'clock on CBS Sports Network mm-hmm. television. The, the, you know, I, I've seen some national things written about us, and they say, well, will Coach Furrier stay engaged? Right. Is he going to be, you know, the guy? And, and first of all, nobody knows because they're not here every day, so they're just, they're just throwing stuff out there. And right. when, when you don't have any facts, you just make it up. But here's the thing. He didn't like, and he said this, I'm not breaking news here. Mike, he didn't like how it ended in South Carolina. Felt like he delegated way too much. He has become a head coach instead of the head ball coach, and he's gone back to being the head ball coach. That means that he's coordinating the offense, he's calling the plays, he's coaching the quarterbacks, he knows where everything is going on around this football team. He's not delegating, and one of the things that I do feel like I – can impact along with our uh, business operations staff is trying to keep the junk away from him. You know, he has to do public relations stuff. There's no doubt about it. But we need to keep that stuff to a minimum. We need to let our most treasured, valued resource, Steve Spurrier's brain, focus on football as much as possible. And I think we'll all be the better for it. But he's an amazing man, and for the last four years, he's sitting around at golf courses, drawing up plays on cocktail napkins <laughs> and on the back of golf scorecards. Right. And I—it's—it's it, got to be just—it's—it's kind of like that playbook in the 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 movie with Adam Sandler. Uh, the Water you know, the Boy. Water Boy. Yeah. Yeah. You're just—you're just waiting to see what's going to come out of this playbook, and we already have what they've dubbed the. Orlando special, right. the uh, double reverse throw to the quarterback for the touchdown. And as uh, everybody was saying, oh, where'd you get that? Did you steal that from Philadelphia Eagles? He said, no, nah, we ran that for the first time back when Duke beat Tennessee over in Nayland Stadium. And uh, that was, I think, 1980 or 82. <laughs> and, and so the guy remembers everything. He is a, his, his mind is like, a, it's like the Smithsonian of football. And, and and we get to be the beneficiaries of that. It, it's truly a blessing. Let's uh, talk about the product on the field. People seem to really be getting behind the fact that you can lay a hit on a guy and it's not an automatic flag. You have replay officials, coaches, quarterbacks all mic'd up. There are some good sound bites of Coach Spurrier himself being mic'd up from your first game. Really a new level of access you can't find in the NFL, Mike. What do you think makes the AAF unique? You clearly have plenty of belief in this product. 
Well, our co-founder, uh, Charlie Ebersaw, is the son of Dick Ebersaw and the actress Susan St. James. He is a most creative person. It, it's, it's really a treat to be around him, too. We're just surrounded by genius in our league. And then you add to that the NFL knowledge of a guy with a gold jacket in Bill Foley and yeah. a master architect of the National Football League and multiple franchises through the years. This is a guy who, I mean, he's, he's in Canton. I mean, you don't get much better than that. You can't get better than that. So what, what they're looking at is how do they make this game safer? Two former Pittsburgh Steelers, Super Bowl MVP Heinz Ward and the uh, former Southern Cal man of Troy, uh, just an absolute headrunner on the field, but truly one of the more calm and just gentlemanly guys I've ever met, Troy Palomalu. Heinz and Troy are really taking a close look at safety and how they can make sure that this is a safer brand of football so we don't have a kickoff. Because kickoffs are dangerous plays. They're also time sucks. They take up time. Our games last about two and a half hours. The average NFL game in 2018 was three hours and 18 minutes. So able to, you know, rip the, the time sucks out of the game. Uh, no kicking points after touchdown. That's a goofy play. No onside kick. Another highly dangerous and just illogical play. Nobody ever practices that. I played football for 15 years through, you know, peewee, through middle school, high school, and college. I, I can tell you one of the more gruesome injuries I ever had to this day. I can flick my left wrist, and I can dislocate my pinky finger to this day because of a injury that I sustained on an onside kick. Mm. Now, I did that an NCAA record there for kickoff return, the shortest kickoff return <laughs> ever. It was an onside kick off my head, and, you know, it went backwards eight yards, and I fell on it. I thought that was good enough. My coach said it was, you know, a bad play. I got the ball. We won the game. What more do you want? You still fell but, on but it. But it's a dangerous play. So the alliance, Mike, is, again, you have to go for two every time. There are no kickoffs. You start off first down and 10 from the 25 based off a coin play. You know, you have a 35-second play clock. Instead of an onside kick, you get it fourth down and 12 from the 28-yard line. And you're really never out of a game. And it's, it's, it's a fast-paced game. You know, it's four downs. It's not three downs like the CFL. You can only rush five. You know, it's a limited defensive rush, but that's to protect the quarterback. Because, look, you can have quarterbacks, you can have running backs and wide receivers and linebackers and all that. The most precious commodity. And anybody that doesn't see this, I pity them. But, but real football people know the most precious commodity in the National Football League outside of a quarterback is your offensive line. The big fellas up front will lose or win games for you every single time. And and you've got to give these guys time to gel and, and, and form a bond because there aren't many of them out there. And we've done an excellent job with our line coach, Todd Washington, and with uh, numerous other guys on our uh, assistant coaching staff to come in and really make sure that our offensive line is strong, and, and I think that'll be a, a big plus for us as we go throughout the season. You mentioned Bill Poley, and he had the quote, if it's good football, it will sell itself. What do you think of the football that you've seen, not only in your own training camp as you've led up to opening day, which was February 9th, obviously one game under your belt. You looked around the league. You've looked at your team. What do you think of the football, the product itself right now, Mike? 
Well, the one thing that I learned a long time ago is I don't talk about football too much because I'm in business operations. But I can tell you <laughs> that my general manager, uh, Tim Ruskell, who I'm blessed to work with every day, and uh, Coach Spurrier are very happy with the level of football. Coach Spurrier has been on record as saying that he feels like this is a, a talent level that's on par you know, with some you know, of the teams in professional football right now, be it in the CFL or in the NFL. I'm not saying that we're going to go out and beat an NFL team, and, and I don't think he would either because these guys have only been together for a very short amount of time. Right. I mean, we had a five-week training camp down in San Antonio, Texas, where all eight of the Alliance teams were there. And before that, it was a four-day minicamp. So you got a four-day minicamp, five weeks, plus one week in the regular season so far. So for that, this group has come together really well. You know, how is that going to advance on over the coming uh, months? You know, we only play a 10-week regular season. There are eight teams. Four teams make the playoffs. I have a... I have a personal opinion about who's going to make the playoffs. I'm not going to share that. But, you know, I feel like the Orlando Apollos have an advantage in Steve Spurrier, in our assistant coaches who have worked with Steve Spurrier at Duke, with the Tampa Bay Bandits, with the University of Florida, the University of South Carolina, with the Redskins. I mean, there are guys that have been together on our staff for, you know, they've known each other for 30, 40 years. They know how to communicate with each other. They know how to engage on a game day. And you cannot underestimate that. I mean, those are the little intangibles that I think make us the team, if not one of the teams to be. Uh, I'm very excited about that. And, again, uh, I think Steve Spurrier is our best asset. And that's why on all of our marketing, it's his face. I mean, this is a guy that is instant recognition in the state of Florida, if not nationally, but certainly in the Sunshine State. And certainly around this area as well. Two more for you, and I'll let you go, Mike. Going forward, I've seen, seen some around the AAF say the design is for the league to be kind of a feeder league, a minor leagues, quote-unquote, to the NFL. Is that accurate? I think it's a complementary league to the National Football League. Um, we are... You know, we play a 10-week regular season. We start the week after the Super Bowl. Mm -hmm. So when the NFL ends, we pick up. And then we have the great fortune of ending our regular season two weeks before the draft, our championship game in Las Vegas on Saturday the 27th of April is, you know, the Saturday of the draft. So the draft goes Thursday, Friday, Saturday. And there's a reason for that. These guys... You know, 81% of the players in the Alliance of American Football have played in the NFL. They want to get back. That's where they want to be. That's the, you know, that's the golden ticket. So for them, they have to get time on the field. They have to play. If you're a third quarterback in the NFL, you rarely get snaps in practice. Right. You just make a million dollars a year and you, you know, stand around a lot. Sounds like a great job to me. <laughs> but, you know, some of these guys actually want to get hit. They want to get out there. They want to make the big bucks. They want to play. Why? Because they're competitors. I mean, these guys have a have a strong, strong will to, to get out and make something happen. So that's what we're going to do. We're going to give them this opportunity through our uh, ten regular season games and hopefully two playoff games to get on tape 
to be able to make a difference and hopefully be on a roster. And if they're not going to be on the roster with an NFL program, well, maybe they're just going to play in the alliance for the next few years. And everybody wants to play the game and get paid. That's what you want to do. You know, they say that in Moneyball, Mike. You know, at some point, they tell you you can't play the children's game anymore. Some get to play longer than others, but at some point, we're all told. I was, you were, everybody listening that played the game more than likely has been told that. So these guys want to keep playing. They want to play at the high level, and they want to keep reaching for that brass ring. Final one. You're adept on social media, so I'm guessing you may have seen some of this talk. A relegation-slash-promotion-type system like soccer leagues around the world have. Have you seen this discussion, and do you believe something like that would work is possible. Of course, I'm thinking this would be a few years down the road, but it's really a grandiose idea that has caught a lot of people's attention. I, I love it. I can't see just from the, and this is a personal opinion, yeah. and nobody, nobody has talked about this inside of our league meetings that I've been involved with, but I, I would find that very hard to do. Uh, I love how it's done in Europe. Yes. I love how it's done with soccer. And, and, and really appreciate that. I wish more of that was done across the board because I think, you know, to the victors go the spoils. But there's so many contracts and legalities and all this uh, stuff that really makes sports a mess sometimes. I love it, though. I think it'd be hilarious. <laughs> but, but it could also be catastrophic to somebody if they have a, if they have a billion-dollar investment in an NFL team and sure. they get relegated down. You know, that'd be tough. I, I think that that could be something that could be done uh, down the line in, in, in future models. But uh, I'll let the, the football people talk about stuff like that. Uh, my goal is trying to work with our outstanding staff in Orlando. OrlandoApollos.com is our web domain, and we're very active on social media. Uh, we are you know, just trying to churn out content and tell the stories of these young guys and uh, hopefully uh, – we don't ever have to be in that lower group that would ever be considered for a, for a relegation discussion. They're going to say, man, what are we going to do to break up the Orlando Palos of Coach Steve Spurrier? They're just beating everybody so bad. Uh, that, that's my dream, and, and really it's, it's for these kids. Look, I spent 28 years in college athletics, two years in NASCAR, and one thing has always remained the same. I love the people who are playing and coaching these games and are strategizing, and you want to see people reach their dreams, Mike. So if we can get guys to, to reach their maximum potential, whether that's being the best alliance player or being the best, uh, you know, and getting back to the uh, National Football League or wherever it is that their dreams take them, that's awesome. And uh, one thing I will say, one thing that's very different about the Alliance of American Football, these guys make a guaranteed salary, but they also, if they've not earned their degree, for every year they play in the Alliance, we make a contribution back to their continuing education. Mm. And we also are stressing and rewarding folks who are active in the community making a difference. Making a social difference is very important. The Charlie Eversall, Bill Polian, Troy Palomalu, Heinz Ward, all of our board of directors, very, very, very important that people do more than just play a game and they make a difference in the eight communities that the Alliance of American Football has chosen. Great messages, great missions. Mike, we've really enjoyed it. Good luck going forward. Really appreciate you making it work with us today. My friend, thank you very much. Go Bucks.
That's Mike Waddell, president of the Orlando Apollos of the AAF. Quite the character. Told me before we went on air that he is grabbing a couple of hot dogs at the pro shop, going to eat them in his car on the way to the facility. That, that's my kind of guy, without a doubt. He's been around in collegiate athletics. He was in NASCAR for a couple of years. And it was really interesting, I thought, to hear the inside workings of building an organization from the ground up because, as he said, in August he got to Orlando and he was given the reins of an organization, a franchise that had no employees. Now he's got, I think he said, 24 of them. So he really did make this his baby, has had a ton of success at all his stops, and a really likable, fun guy, too, which is why we enjoyed having him on. Appreciate Mike Waddell making time for us on Sandos and the Sidekick. When we are back, three-segment show today, the College Insider mid-major top 25, a deep dive and a breakdown on Sandos and the Sidekick on the Buccaneer Sports Network. Ballot Health is an integrated health care system built to meet the local needs in Northeast Tennessee and Southwest Virginia. Together with community, we're transforming our region. We're making communities healthier. We're expanding access to critical services in rural areas. And we're investing in health research and medical education. It's your story. We're listening. Ballot Health is proud to be the official health care provider of ETSU Athletics, Go Bucks! The Carnegie Hotel is Johnson City's only AAA four-diamond property that is unique, tranquil, and brimming with character, just adjacent to East Tennessee State University. When it's time to dine, Wellington's Restaurant in the Carnegie Hotel is the place to be, serving breakfast, lunch, and dinner in grand style. And why not come indulge yourself at Austin Springs Spa, located right inside the Carnegie Hotel. East Tennessee's premier full-service spa provides everything you need to rejuvenate, revive, and renew. The Carnegie Hotel, 12 16 State of Franklin Road in Johnson City. Wendy's has three new hamburgers on the new made-to-crave menu. The barbecue cheeseburger, the salsa bacon cheeseburger, and the peppercorn mushroom melt. They've got so much swagger, they'll change the way you think about hamburgers and the way you ride through our drive-thru. Maybe you'll lean your seat back a little. Maybe a lot. Maybe you'll roll your windows down. Or maybe your window's broken because you punched through it to get your hamburger faster. Try the three new hamburgers on Wendy's new made-to-crave menu and download the Wendy's app for craveable deals today. At Wendy's, we got you. At participating Wendy's. Mulligan Hardwood Flooring is a beautiful addition to any room. Enjoy the luxury of hardwood flooring in your home with Mulligan's pre-finished, sold, or engineered, ready-to-install selection of beautiful hardwood flooring and a wide variety of domestic and exotic species. Please visit the following Johnson City locations to learn more. Dockery's Floor Covering, House of Paneling, Carpet and Door Mart, and K&M Flooring. Kingsport locations include Dalton Direct Carpets, Custom Floors by Carlin, El Providence Flooring and Paint. Visit the Smile Floor Service in Bristol. Trust the clear leader in quality hardwood flooring, Mulligan Flooring. General Shale is proud to support ETSU basketball and Southern Conference fans everywhere. Want to make the most of game day? Now you can design your dream home during pregame or halftime. The new My Designs app by General Shale lets you design custom projects right from your phone or tablet. Choose from up to 10 building types designed with over 50 of our most popular brick and stone colors. You can even share your designs with your friends. Download the My Designs app by General Shale on the App Store or visit MyDesignsApp.com to design your dream project today. Over the last 70 years, Johnson City Power Board has had a few different looks. But we've remained the same trusted partner you rely on. Now, we've changed our name to Brightridge to match our vision, to deliver on our promise of great service you can count on, embracing common sense technology to strengthen the communities we serve. We're glad to be your public power provider. Brightridge, new name, renewed promise. Learn more at brightridge.com. 
this about the mid-major top 25. I'm looking at Gonzaga, 31 first place votes, number one, and we'll get into it in more depth here in a second, but they're only 21 points ahead of Wofford and Buffalo. How does the system work? You'd think they'd have to be at least 31 points ahead, right? Because wouldn't it make sense that you get one extra point for a first place vote or like first place vote is one more point than a second place vote? Can you help me out now? Can uh, I'm, 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 tr- I'm trying to trying to look I at it. I just don't understand how it, it works. Like it's 737 points for Gonzaga, 716 for Wofford and Buffalo, and clearly Gonzaga gets all of the first place votes. And so you th- it was mm. like two thirds of an extra point. I mean, that, that would be that'd be kind of strange, and that would that would mean that if you're adding additional points, is, is that, is that, uh, uh, can I use the uh, quote unquote champions advantage since you're already sitting at two? They want to thrown you from two. I, I thought they've had ties before. Um, no, no, no. I'm not talking about ties. I'm talking about Gonzaga being number one and only being up by 21 points. Oh, yeah. With 31 first place votes. I mean, that doesn't make a whole lot of sense. Is, is each first place vote worth two-thirds of a point? I don't know. Oh, yeah. Out. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I, maybe when I talk to Joe again, I'll uh, – Getting somebody's here to figure that out because yeah, this doesn't make a lot of sense. Clearly, <laughs> clearly something's wrong with this poll, right? I mean, they haven't had a long track record in history of success, so we need to change this so we understand it better. <laughs> anyway, Gonzaga number one, it's now the nation's longest winning streak, 16 games. The only losses were back-to-back to Tennessee and North Carolina. They had double-digit wins over Loyal Marymount and San Diego this past week. I think clearly far and away the number one team in this poll in the country right now. They're still a top-five team, correct? Everyone's saying that they, Tennessee, uh, Kentucky, um, who am I forgetting, Virginia, and Duke Duke are the clear-cut top-five and have been for quite some time. Would you agree with that? Yes. Okay. Yes, I would. I don't don't have – there's not a lot of great basketball teams, but that's about as good a five, five, right? Yeah. Number two, Wofford, 14 wins in a row. So that's the second longest winning streak behind Gonzaga. Buffalo actually tied with them, as we mentioned, in points. 21 behind Gonzaga, 716 points apiece. Buffalo, six-point wins over Akron and Toledo. The Rockets that you picked to beat Buffalo this past week, down Mm -hmm. five spots that we'll talk about in just a moment. The OVC in spots four and five. Belmont, six straight double-digit wins. Murray State is tied at 12-2 and two in the league with them and 21-4 and four overall. This is going to be a great race to the finish for the regular season championship. You've got Belmont and Murray State, both 12-2 and two in the league, 21-4 and four overall, combined winning streak of 14 games between the two. Then you got Austin P, 11-3, along with Jacksonville State, who are 11-3 in the league, just one game behind. And Jacksonville State has given Belmont their only two conference losses. Murray State, had a big win last week at Austin P, 73 to 71. We know the OVC does the postseason a bit differently, but the regular season has been quite thrilling and will be down the stretch. Yeah, and I, I think in the way they do their conference tournament, and we talked about that not too long ago, but you know those two teams are going to sit for a little bit. They should be in the um, uh, semifinals. They get a bye to the semis uh, if they continue to sit uh, atop the conference. And then I'll say this: it has not been good for Belmont. They have struggled because. Basically, uh, two teams are, are able to, to get a couple of wins in, and then on the third day they play a team that hasn't played in over a week. And so it's not been good uh, for, uh, as far as Belmont is concerned, it's not worked out well for them. But right now those two teams tied for first, and um, they're both 12-2 and two in league standing. So if they can stay there, they're in the semifinals. All they have to do is wait for the winner. Uh, of a couple of games, and then they're going to have an opportunity to meet in the championship game and then put it in the the hands of the committees to see, you know, does Murray State and an NBA player 
warrant a chance to get into the tournament, or does Belmont and some of their big wins this year, and, and I know some of them don't look as great as they did earlier, such as the win at UCLA and some others, but it would be curious to see uh, how that's going to go. But, uh, yeah, the men's championship, so how they do it, Mike, is uh, the top eight seeds make the tournament. Five and eight play the first day. Six and seven play the first day. The winner of the 5-8 plays the 4. The winner of the 3-6-7 uh, plays the 3. And then the 1 will play the winner of the 4-5-8 matchup. And the 2 seed will play the winner of the 3-6-7 matchup. So, I mean, you're sitting there. Uh, what You have to wait three days before you can play. And that has not been good for some of those teams to sit and wait. But the OVC, like the Southern Conference, is trying to champion as best they can to get two teams in. I think that's going to be tough. Murray State and Belmont especially considering yeah, Austin Peer, Jack, it's just not the same as the Southern Conference. Those four I don't think match up with Furman, Wofford, UNCG, and ETSU. Do you? No, I do not think. I don't think that it's uh, even close, quite honestly. To your point, I think every year regarding the tournament and there being a quote-unquote NBA prospect or someone that everyone wants to see in the NCAA tournament, it, it's just a big shame if they don't get the chance to see a top player like a job Morant that you're talking about, the NBA prospect, the man you referenced for Murray State. I think it would be devastating, not to the tournament as a whole, because the tournament is going to be very popular regardless. Obviously, it transcends one player, and you know we saw even with Steph Curry back in the day, you know with Davidson. I, I don't know if John Morant is necessarily on the level of Steph Curry. He does a lot more things, I think, at a high level than Steph Curry did at Davidson. Uh, Curry, though, is just so electric. I don't think you can really compare the two, but without John Morant in the NCAA tournament, I think a certain element would be missing. Would you agree? I, I do. I, I think, and, and they've done that before. There have been teams that got, you know, it's all about money and driving revenue, and sometimes teams that have a player that people are interested, whether it's the NBA or just the, the public are interested in and want to see, then I think they get the uh, benefit of the doubt, and I don't begrudge you know, Murray State, if they were able to get in that way. And if it took one away from the Southern Conference, I'd certainly be disappointed because I would still like to see the better team over a player get in. But I certainly see where the NCAA, and I know they don't want to say it's about money, but we all know it's about the money and driving the dollars. Because if CBS is going to pay billions, billions of dollars to get that, they need to get a return on their investment, correct? Correct. The top five, Gonzaga, Wofford, Buffalo, Belmont, Murray State. Number six, UC Irvine, one win over middle of the pack. Santa Barbara this past week, that was the only game that they played. They have a two-game lead in the Big West over Cal State Fullerton. Number seven, New Mexico State had a seven-point win over Utah Valley and a six-point win over Seattle. They've got a big lead, does New Mexico State, in the whack with five games left to play. I believe that lead is three over Grand Canyon, if memory serves. Number eight, Hofstra beat Charleston by four to create some distance at the top of the CAA, but then they turn around and lose to UNC Wilmington, a letdown against the Seahawks, who have won just nine games this year overall. Kind of a shocking series of events there for Hofstra. Lipscomb, number nine in the College Insider Mid-Major uh, Top 25. Liberty deals Lipscomb their first loss in the league. They're tied atop the ace on each 12-1. and one. The Bison still one spot ahead of Liberty in the mid-major poll. Liberty being the biggest risers this week into the number 10 spot. Yeah, I don't think they've changed their formula. And they they did it the last year ETSU was in the league where the top you have to fly to the top seed. So you could, you could fly two, three different spots if you're a lower-seeded team. But if you're in that top spot, you're going to play every single game at home. And certainly that bodes well 
uh, for the Bisons uh, if they're able to, to hang on and Liberty now 12-1. and one. But, you know, who gets that home court advantage uh, and to see who could get the opportunity to play for the NCAA tournament. So, uh, you know, they've got, I think, ten teams. Only eight make the tournament. Uh, but but it's at home site. So we'll have to see what the tiebreakers shake out. And it may go to the NET since, you know, depending on how that, that goes. But I'll be curious to see. Lipscomb was happy to be in the tournament last year. Now they've improved their team. They returned a lot of their team. They felt like this was a huge step forward. What they're going to do, Liberty's sort of that new kid on the block that was in the Big South. They want to go big boy football, couldn't find a league. So for the ace on those two teams just, just carrying the banner and trying to figure out, sort of like the OVC, you've got two teams carrying that banner, you've got the ace on carrying the banner, and then you've got, a, I think, a legitimate four teams in the Southern Conference trying to battle for maybe might be just one spot. Speaking of, Furman number 11 in the poll, they handled UNCG and whacked VMI, but only up three spots. UNCG, the biggest fallers this week to number 12, losing to the Paladins and the crushing defeat to Wofford. The Spartans down nine spots, as we mentioned, the biggest fallers, while Liberty rises above them six spots. So you've got Lipscomb and Liberty out of the A-Sun, then out of the Southern Conference, Furman and UNCG. You've got some clumps there of like Southern Conference and Atlantic Sun teams, number 13, Vermont. They stand pat in America East with two wins, one a very tight one, two-point win over Hartford, one-and-a-half game lead over Stony Brook, and a two-game lead over UMBC. Then you've got ETSU at number 14, up one spot with the win over Citadel and the win over Mercer and rounding out the top 15. I think I want to save that for just a moment because the conversation on South Dakota State is a long and sordid one that we'll get into in a moment. But Furman, UNCG, ETSU, 11 through 14, three of those four spots right after the A-Sun has Lipscomb and Liberty. Yeah, and I think it's about right. And we, we kind of debated surely Furman would be ranked over UNCG, but then how far would you drop yeah. UNCG? And I think ETSU was about 10 spots last week. Uh, UNCG went nine spots. They did manage to do the right thing. I think it put Furman above UNCG. Uh, you know, and then 12 UNCG, 14 ETSU, Vermont sandwiched in between there. And, that, you know, and that will be settled when ETSU plays UNCG plus Furman plays Wofford. So ETSU has a shot if they go 2-0 and uh, in that week of jumping uh, Furman and UNCG. Now, obviously, if Furman goes 2-0 and and finally knocks off Wofford, or 1-0 because they only got Wofford, if they're able to, to pick up that win, they should jump a lot. question is if they lose – you know, would you at that point jump ETSU over Furman? I think you would, uh, just based on everything, because now you can look at those schools, and I know it's sort of a week-to-week deal, but I think you look at those and go, well, all those teams uh, were 1-1-1, one, 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 but ETSU having the latest win, they deserve to be over uh, both those squads. So South Dakota State, number 15 in the poll, a one-point loss to Omaha last week. That left them a half game ahead of Omaha, who also beat Fort Wayne the number one in three teams in the league. Then the Jackrabbits hit a half-court heave to beat NDSU. Otherwise, Omaha would have the league lead right now. So SDSU losing by one, then coming back and hitting a desperation miracle shot at the buzzer to beat North Dakota State. And Omaha coming on strong, beating both the Jackrabbits and Fort Wayne, the number one in three teams in the league. Things getting very interesting in the summit. I, that have well, the whole weekend. There were several buzzer beaters, yeah. interesting finishes, and to see South Dakota State avoid uh, going zero and two, and especially to beat their arch rival North Dakota State with uh, what about a step in front of half yeah. court, uh, bank shot to win it certainly helped their case instead of going zero for two, and you know it keeps that record pretty solid at twenty one and seven, and you know twenty and eight's not bad, but certainly the more uh, 
uh, you can get beyond that 20 barrier. Obviously helps your case. And Summit League down a little bit this year, so I think South Dakota State's very happy to get that and, and lucky to survive and not go into And that happens a lot. You know, sometimes, you know, look at Wofford. You know, they were able to, to survive Sanford at home. I mean, you, you have to have things like that go your way sometimes in a championship caliber year in your league, and South Dakota State very fortunate. So here's Toledo down the five spots, as we mentioned, out of the Mid-American after losing to Buffalo. They're in the number 17 spot. Ruined your bold prediction, and so they are ruined in the poll as well. Montana out of the Big Sky, still number 18 this week at 19-6. and six. Texas State, 21-5 and five out of the Sun Belt, up one spot. They just switched places with Stony Brook, who are number 20 in the poll out of the America East. San Francisco, they're still at number 21. Not a lot of movement, really, at the bottom of the poll this week. Bowling Green up three spots out of the Mid-American as well. Then there's Charleston at 21-7. and seven. They're down one spot out of the Colonial. And then we find two teams that ETSU played earlier this year. Georgia State, you talked about earlier in the show, a game that ETSU just could not finish off, ended up losing by six. And then Sam Houston State, who the Bucks did defeat, numbers 24 and 25. Georgia State not ranked last week out of the Sun Belt, up to number 24 this week. And Sam Houston State down two spots in the Southland. But interesting to see a couple of non-conference opponents ETSU had at 24 and 25. Yeah, and I think uh, you, Georgia State got off to a little bit of a slow start in league play. And they actually trailed Texas State, which has kind of come out of nowhere. Uh, but two and three in that league is Georgia State and Georgia Southern. <coughs> Excuse me. And then I think – Sam Houston State's another team that ETSU played earlier this year that uh, has continued to rack up some wins. So, that, again, you're an ETSU fan. You need that to happen. You need Georgia State, Georgia Southern to continue to win. You need them to play each other maybe in the championship game. Again, all that stuff helps the NET and all these mathematical things. But uh, no shock that uh, those teams are still ranked in the mid-major top 25. So the top 25, Gonzaga, Wofford, Buffalo, Belmont, Murray State, the top five. Some squads of note outside of that. Lipscomb and Liberty out of the ASUN 9 and 10. Out of the Southern Conference, Furman, UNCG, and ETSU 11, 12, and 14, respectively. South Dakota State down four spots after a very interesting week at number 15. Out of the Ivy League, Yale at number 16. And then you go all the way down to 24 and 25, Georgia State and Sam Houston State. Just a couple of teams ETSU is familiar with. That's just a little wrap-up of the College Insider mid-major top 25, and we are wrapping up the show on the Tuesday. Yeah, good show. A little smorgasbord. Steve Forbes, little AAF top 25, big Tuesday. Coming up tomorrow, recap uh, the season so far for baseball and softball of Lando's Land. Play on. Play on. That'll be coming up with the Nasir player. And uh, if we got enough time, maybe we'll sneak a four quarters in or something. At the end of the four show. quarters. We'll four see. down. Or whatever. Yeah. For something. For the show. All right. That'll do it. Don't forget, you can download Sanders and the Sidekick every week on SoundCloud and on iTunes. You can subscribe to the RSS feed. That way you get the update every single time. That we upload a new show. You ever got a question or segment suggestion? We'll be glad to take it. You can send it to at Buck Sports Radio. We'll be glad to answer all that and more. Back with another episode. Sanderson's the sidekick on the back of the network. <laughs>